as I was getting ready for this, I was reminded of the what we're in the midst of. And when I say that, what I mean is right now we're in the midst of that time where uh, people are again wearing printed hats and printed shirts, you know, that tell, usually have somebody else's name on it, not their own. Uh, you know, it, it tells them, uh, you know, who they're for. Bumper stickers on cars. I was, I was doing this. I've never had a bumper sticker on my car, uh, not intentionally. There was one time when we went to uh, Rock City. Did you ever see those things on the car that said, See Rock City? When you're seeing Rock City, somebody is out there putting this thing on your bumper. Fortunately, it's not a sticky one that sticks to the bumper. They put it on with just little metal, well, they used to anyway, just little metal clips that kind of wrapped around the bumper. Uh, so it wasn't that bad. I remember one Sunday in uh, church when we attended the CMA church in South Holland, Illinois, and it was during the I Found It campaign. Now, most of you don't know what that is, but it was a, an evangelistic campaign that was, uh, you know, with billboards and everything. And as our pastor was introducing it, he said, and right now I have, and he listed two of the youth out there putting bumper stickers on <laughs> on your cars, and you should have. You, uh, you want to talk about uneasiness in there. I mean, some people actually, you know, were, were getting ready to get up and go out and make sure that they didn't have this bumper sticker on their car. But, you know, people are putting bumper stickers on their car again. Now, this time of year, every time, you know, every four years it happens. Signs on their lawn. Uh, I've seen uh, I, I've seen an increasing number of political signs on the lawn in their windows. Uh, people are talking with their friends, their co-workers, you know, about political candidates of their choice. Everybody wants others to know who they're with. Now, if you think about that and you look at the uh, title of the series, I think you will know where we are going to be going these next several weeks. Um, I don't I don't know how many weeks it'll be, but uh, you know they're talking about Solomon for four weeks in the kids video series, and um, I'll be a little surprised if we get through this in four weeks. But anyway, let's pray, and then we're going to get into this. Father, thank you, thank you for a country in which we are free to be able to worship you. Uh, you've told us to pray for our leaders, and we do want to do that. And as we think of the election, we want you to guide that process. <laughs> uh, our politicians have proved over and over again that they are um, inept at um, at doing that. Uh, we would pray that who, whatever leaders you have in, in every spot, really, that you'd surround them with godly counselors that you would help them come to know you and stand with you and live for you. Help us to do that. Don't let us always look to others, Lord. Help us to be part of that um, witness for you that we really want to see in our country. Help us to be part of that, that group who not only stands for you but tells others about you. Teach us from your word. Help us to see and understand not just the, the facts of it, but the reality of what it means for us today. Uh, guide this time, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. 
We're going to be in Second Chronicles chapter 7, but really to start to understand this, we need to turn to the end of Second Chronicles. So we'll turn to Second Chronicles chapter 36, if you will. Uh, this whole series really is just going to come from Second Chronicles chapter 7, but in order to better understand it, we need to start with the end of the book, and I hope that you will see why in a minute. Uh, Second Chronicles chapter 36. First and Second Chronicles were originally one book. They were written as one book, and uh, they were separated into two books, uh, it seems, when it was translated from, from Hebrew into Greek. Uh, it, was, it was a long, as you see, it was a long volume, and it was, it was split up, divided into, that, into two books at that time, probably because of the length of it. Uh, Second Chronicles ends with the fall and this, the destruction of Jerusalem, and the people taken off into captivity. But we're going to back up a little bit. You're going to see what, ha- what brought that about. Let's start with verse 11 of Second Chronicles chapter 36. Verse 11, it says, Zedekiah was 21 years old when he became king and reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord his God and did not humble himself. Now, just keep your finger there for just a second. I'm going to interrupt myself. This is something you see over and over again. From Second Chronicles 7, where we're going to be in, all the way through here till the end, you see over and over again uh, listings of kings and, you know, if they did good, if they did bad. You know, uh, and too often you see here he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord is God here, you know, and, and it was a recurring cycle. And it goes on, it says, did not humble himself before Jeremiah, the prophet at the Lord's command, verse 13. It says, he also rebelled against King Nebuchadnezzar, who made him swear allegiance uh, by God. He became obstinate and hardened in his heart against returning to Yahweh, the God of Israel. There's the picture of the leader. There's a picture of the leader of God's people. Israel is God's people. There's the picture of the leader of God's people became obstinate, hardened in his heart against returning to Yahweh, the God of Israel. Verse 14, all the leaders of the priests and the people multiplied their unfaithful deeds. So it's not only the leader. And unfortunately, too often as a leader goes and sets that example, others follow. And that's exactly what you see happening here. All the leaders and priests. Oh, my gosh. You know, the priests, for crying out loud, they're the ones who are supposed to help them have a relationship with God. They're the ones who are supposed to help them have a relationship and stand for and live for God and be his people. And it says, and even the priests multiplied multiplied I, I just can't get away from that word multiplied their unfaithful deeds it's not just that they added one upon another they couldn't add them fast enough they couldn't be unfaithful fast enough is really what's what what, what that picture that we're given there notice what it says uh their unfaithful deeds, imitating the detestable practices of the nation the nations that they were supposed to be separated from the nations they were supposed to be an example for instead they were the ones and they defiled the lord's temple that he had consecrated for them in jerusalem defile the temple now remember this because as we jump back we're jumping we're jumping back in chapter 7 to uh, the time of the dedication of this temple Uh, verse 15 says but yahweh the god of their ancestors sent word among them by the hand of his messengers sending them time and time again 
what a patient God. For he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they kept ridiculing God's messengers, despising his words and scoffing at his prophets until the Lord's wrath was so stirred up against his people that there was no remedy. I don't ever want to get to that place where I have opposed God so long, so consistently and so, so ferociously that there is no remedy. Verse 17, so he brought up against them the king of the, Chalc- of the, of the Chaldeans, like I almost said Chaldeans, of the Chaldeans who killed their choice young men with the sword in the, house of the, uh, in the house of their sanctuary. He had no pity on young men or young women, elderly or aged. He, why do we say aged or age? He handed them over to him. He took everything to Babylon. So this is the, the, the going to Babylon. They're conquered people here now. This is the fall of Israel, and they're going to Babylon. They're being removed from the land, not only from that temple, but they're being removed from the land here. Uh, verse, middle of verse 18. All the articles of God's temple, large and small, the treasuries of the Lord's temple, and all the treasuries of the kings and his officials. When the, when the Chaldeans burned, then the Chaldeans burned God's temple. They tore down Jerusalem's wall burned down all its palaces and destroyed all its valuable articles. They obliterated this city is what happened here. Verse 20, he deported those who escaped from the sword to Babylon and they became servants to him and his sons until the rise of the Persian kingdom. This fulfilled the word of the Lord through Jeremiah and the land enjoyed its Sabbath rest all the days of the desolation until 70 years will fulfilled. So God's people set up as God's nation. Uh, you know, we just had finished the series in Genesis and then you move into Exodus where they were captured, where they were, you know, in, in, slaves for 400 years. God released them, freed them, lead them to the promised land. Well, after that little wandering for 70 years for, uh, because they, they, they couldn't get it right. You know, they, and they get messed up and so they had to wander until all that generation died off, 40 years in the wilderness. And then they, you know, they, they are able to come in and they come in and they set up the land. Then they, a little bit of bouncing around, you know, with leaders and stuff. Finally, God raises up a leader for them and, and, and here, and now it's, it's just all gone. It's all trashed. They ignored God for 70 years. The closing verses of Second Chronicles. Verse, between verse 21 and 22, uh, 70 years have passed. Right there, you see that little, you see that little space in the paragraphs between chapter, you know, uh, between verse 21 and 22. That little, that little white space you have there, that's 70 years. So here we are, verse 22. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, the word of the Lord spoken through Jeremiah was fulfilled. The Lord put it into the mind of King Cyrus of Persia to issue a proclamation throughout his entire kingdom and also to put it in writing. This is what King Cyrus of Persia says. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth and has appointed me to build him a temple at Jerusalem in Judah. Whoever among you, whoever among you of his people may go up and may the Lord his God be with them. The ending of the book. The ending of the book here helps us understand the purposes for writing the books we have as First and Second Chronicles. Again, one one book when they originally wrote it. Uh, the book was written here after King Cyrus allowed the Jews to leave to rebuild Jerusalem. That's when it was written. We read through it. 
kind of like an unfolding story as if it's happening and, and that's good but remember you know, what, what it, it was really written after the fact obviously but it was written here that's when you have the the writing of the book uh, you know Cyrus allows the Jews to go back to rebuild Jerusalem and the people would return they would return with questions about their standing with God it had been 70 years those people who are returning have never been there they've never been there you know, they, 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 didn't, they didn't know what this was. They didn't understand. Well, most of them. I mean, some of them uh, you know, had seen it. But uh, because some of them wept. Why? Because the, the, the new was nothing like the old, uh, you know. But, but the majority of them, they, they didn't. Uh, Seventy years, you know. Were they still God's people? What place would the temple have for them? They were rebuilding the walls. They rebuilt the walls. They rebuilt the temple. What place would the temple have them? How would they know they're God's people? That's really the question we're going to be looking at through this series. How do we know we're God's people? You know, how do we know we're God's people? Same question we should have, that we, we, we have today. How do we know that? First and Second Chronicles answers for them and for us, really, the theological questions as they are returning to rebuild Jerusalem. Now, real quick, if you you don't have to, but if you were to flip to the beginning at first at First Chronicles, where this all starts, uh, the first nine chapters are filled with just really terrific information. It, it's it's hard to get away from that as you're reading. It's a real page turner. Nine chapters of genealogies you want to talk about nod city um you know there's some uh, some uh, other things thrown in there but uh, you know the the nine chapters it makes the important connections for them it starts back with adam and it makes these important connections that they need all the way up through david through these first nine chapters uh, chapter 11 very quickly just deals with Saul and his son. As you get into chapter 12, 12 through 20 focuses on David. Chapter 17 there really highlights the covenant that, that God makes with David, assuring David he will always have a descendant on the throne. Now, we get the privilege of looking back, and as we look back, we know he's talking about Jesus. David didn't know that at that time. He, I'm assuming that David figured it was always going to be, you know, his son one of his sons and then a grandson and then a great-grandson and a great-great-grandson and a great-great-great-grandson and a great-great-great-great you get the picture you know but you know we know being able to look back and particularly with the information in the new testament we know that he's talking about jesus well chapters 21 through 27 unfold the plans for the temple and the ministry divisions within the temple so they would have this place to worship god they would know how it was to go about chapter 28 of first chronicles david charges his son solomon with the building of the new temple because god told david you can't build it you're you're a man of blood and uh, that's just not going to work um you know so chapter 29 tells how they got the supplies for building the temple and it really kind of winds up uh david's time as king and then you get into second chronicles second chronicles begins with what we just saw in the kids video solomon asking and seeking for wisdom and then he begins to set things in place for the temple and chapters 3 to 5 of second chronicles explains the building and the furnishing of the temple chapter 6 is that dedication ceremony for the temple the temple that we just read about at the end of the book that was burned 
in the city that was the city of God that was destroyed. And in chapter 6 there, you know, it's that dedication. It concludes with Solomon's prayer at the dedication. And that brings us to Second Chronicles chapter 7, where we're going to spend the next few weeks. So Second Chronicles chapter 7. I'd encourage you to read through it ahead of time. Some people have and sent me questions already on it, which is good. That's, that's kind of a good thing. Um, but Second Chronicles chapter 7, follow along, beginning with verse 1. <coughs> we're not going to cover the whole chapter today. Um, so it says, when Solomon finished praying, you know, that, that's the prayer in chapter 6. When Solomon finished praying, fire descended from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices. And the glory of the Lord filled the temple. What a picture that would be. What a, what a thing to stand in front of. The priests were not able to enter the Lord's temple because the glory of the Lord filled the temple of the Lord. All the Israelites were watching when the fire descended and the glory of the Lord came on the temple. They bowed down on the pavement with their faces to the ground. They worshiped and praised the Lord, for he is good, for his faithfulness endures forever. The king and all the people were offering sacrifices in the Lord's presence. King Solomon offered a sacrifice of 22,000 cattle and 120,000 sheep. In this manner, the king and all the people dedicated God's temple. The priests and the Levites were standing at their stations. The Levites had the musical instruments of the Lord, which King David had made to praise the Lord, for his faithful love endures forever. When he offered praise with them. Across from the Levites, the priests were blowing trumpets, and all the peoples were standing. Since the bronze altar that Solomon had made could not accommodate the burnt offerings, the grain offering, and the fat of the fellowship offerings, Solomon's, Solomon first consecrated the middle of the courtyard that was in front of the Lord's temple and then offered the burnt offerings and the fat offerings of the fellowship offerings there. So Solomon, all Israel with him, a very great assembly, from the entrance to Hamath to the brook of Egypt, observed the festival at that time for seven days. On the eighth day, they held a sacred assembly for the dedication of the altar lasted seven days and the festival seven days. On the 23rd day of the seventh month, he sent the people away to their tents rejoicing and with happy hearts for the goodness the Lord had done for David, for Solomon, and for his people Israel. So Solomon finished the Lord's temple and the royal palace, and the royal palace everything that had entered Solomon's heart to do for the Lord's temple and for his own palace succeeded. Now we're going to pause there for today. Um, you know, this was the high point for Israel, as the, particularly as far as those who were returning to rebuild Jerusalem were concerned. Remember where they were at. They were coming back and they were seeing all of this destroyed that we just read about. They were seeing the temple not just burned but torn down. They were seeing the city burned, torn down. They were seeing the walls of the city, which were huge. They, if they didn't have walls, they had no defense. They could just be taken advantage of, torn down. They saw all of this ruin. And they, but they would look back and they would read this and they would see this as, as the high point. You know, God's people were in place. God's temple was built. God was dwelling among his people once more. His, his glory filled that temple. God was living among his people. Just as it started in the, in the garden. 
God dwelling among his people. And here's this picture, and they would really, they would really be looking at this, focusing on this. This would be what they would want when they returned to Jerusalem. When they returned to Jerusalem, this is what they wanted. They wanted to know how about building the temple. Why? So that God could dwell among them again. They wanted to know more. How, how is it that we could be? How can we get back to where we were? Oh, man. Yeah, there's a phrase for us today, huh? How can we get back to where we were? You know, now, the chapter divisions, they give us kind of a sense or a pause and a regrouping. You know, like one thing has come to an end and then, okay, now we pick up something else, you know, and that's kind of how we look at it. But remember, they didn't have chapter divisions in the original. Those were added later to help us be able to find, you know, where I could tell you to turn to Second Chronicles chapter 7, you know. Uh, I mean, they were so that we could figure some of these things out. The wording in the Hebrew here, as chapter 7 opens, uh, the wording in the Hebrew really gives the picture of the fire coming down from heaven is what brings Solomon's prayer to an end. You know, I, I, I kind of wonder if he said his sentence, paused, inhale, and whoosh, you know, I mean, they're, we're, we're, you know, but that, that's the picture that's given there. Now, that fire coming down from heaven, that was the same thing that happened when Moses dedicated the tabernacle. When they were, when they were wandering... And God was leading them by that pillar of fire by night and that pillar of cloud by day. And he was leading them. And then it says, then, you know, they, they built the tabernacle. And as they built the tabernacle then, you know, this, this same presence of God then inhabits the tabernacle. And the glory of the Lord, it says, filled that tabernacle. Here it says that the glory of the Lord filled the temple and the people falling on their faces in worshipful response. That's the same thing that happened with the tabernacle. When the, when the glory of God filled it, the people fell on their faces in worship. And it's that same picture. This is the, the, the returning exiles would be picking up on this. They would be picking up on all of these connections here. This was the same thing from Moses. This was the same thing then in the temple of David. What do you think they were expecting for themselves then as they would be, you know, as they would be doing this? Now, Remember, what made Israel unique? What made them unique from all the other people was their worship of only one God instead of many gods. That's what set Israel apart from all the surrounding nations. Israel you know, was monotheistic, only worshiping one God. All the nations around them were polytheistic, had many gods. They had many, many gods, you know, that, that, that they would worship. The nations around them had false gods and idols. Now, you know, a false god you know, was believed to be in control over some aspect, of, you know, like the god of the sun, the rain god, the god or goddess of fertility. And they had all sorts of, you know, different things. An idol, an idol was an actual statue or a figurine uh, of some sort that someone made, and sometimes of these gods, but they didn't have to have an idol to be worshiping a false god. They could worship a false god that they didn't have an idol for, and sometimes they made idols for them. And, and, you know, and so you have, this is what the people around them, and Israel was to stand out as different. Israel was to be a true and clear witness of the one and only true God. They were to be back in, back during the Exodus. And you have the plagues. 
and people have matched up you know those plagues to 10 different gods that Egypt worshiped and showing how how their god the god was superior to each and every one and they were to stand out they were to show they were to show that they were with god Israel was always to show you know that they were with him they were to take a stand and that stand was to be with God. The church is to do the same thing. We are called to live among those who don't know Christ Jesus. We are called to live among them as an example of what it means to have a relationship with God. So when they see you at your computer desk, when they see you, you know, at the parts counter, when they see you, you know, driving the cars, when they see, wherever they see you, that they know this is what it means. This is what it means to have a relationship to God. The way this person works, the way this person serves, the way this person lives as my neighbor, this is what it means to be a person of God. This is what it means to have a relationship with God. If you simply live by the same values, the same priorities as those who don't have a relationship with God, then what you're showing is that God is not really important. If you're simply living, if you're simply living by the same standards, the same priorities, See, here we're not even talking about, we can talk about values and we can talk about, you know, standards of conduct. Those are certainly true. But it's not just that. It's what are those priorities that you're living for? You see, because there are, we can, we can find people who we would say, well, they're good people. Now we know good isn't what gets us, you know, a relationship with Christ. But those who have a relationship with Christ certainly should be good. But you see, it's not just that conduct. It is conduct, but it's not just the conduct. What are your priorities? What's most important to you? What or who is most important to you? How is it that you react and respond to things, you see? These are, you know, this is, this is the, the examples, you know, that, that are, that are there for us. You know, what is it that makes us have a relationship with God? Well, as they dedicated the temple, you know, as a dwelling place of God and the people and King Solomon offered sacrifices in the temple. Look at verse 4. Uh, you know, it says, uh, Then the king and all the people were offering sacrifices in the Lord's presence, King, the, the, the king and the people. So this is the, the numbers we're going to read here add to that because the people also made sacrifices. King Solomon, just King, just king Solomon's offering was a sacrifice of 22,000 cattle, that's a lot of hamburger, and 120,000 sheep. I'm looking at this, and this is a, one of the questions somebody asked me. Why, why so many, you know? Um, I think one of the reasons is, you know, the, the giving of so many things... Uh, it's a good example for us of what it means to give to God. What it means to give to God. God had a priority in their life. 
We are to give according to how he's blessed us. They were giving according to how God blessed them. Their giving was to show that they were with God. Our giving is to show that we are with God. King Solomon gave what seemed like a crazy amount of animals here. But his giving was in response to putting God first in his possessions. There's a challenge for you. To putting God first in regards to that. You see, our giving does show what place God has in our life. Maybe now is the time we should take the offering. Our giving, you know, our giving, it shows what place God has in our life. What you give shows the place that God has in your life. This extravagant giving was to show the place God had in their life. It was to show the worthiness of God. It was to lift God up. You know, now it, it seems the great number of animals here, you know, it, they probably would not have all been sacrificed that day. If you do the math, and, and uh, you know, some other people have done the math and I've taken their word for it, it would require 20 sacrifices per minute for 10 hours each day of the 15-day celebration. 20 sacrifices per minute. Well, then I did a little math, you know. It's a little over eight sacrifices per minute, 24 hours a day for 15 days. Now, verse 7 does say they dedicated part of the courtyard to help accommodate all the sacrifices. The altar was, that was made wasn't, wasn't large enough. The altar it was inadequate, it was inadequate to, to take care of all of these sacrifices. Uh, so the courtyard was there. Uh, but the, the giving, you know, the giving of the sacrifice, it didn't require, it didn't require here that every single one was sacrificed during those 15 days. It simply says that they were given and used as a sacrifice. They were given and used. They weren't returned to the people for their personal use. <clears throat> Ever float alone from God? Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. You know, we determine that, you know, God, I'm going to put you first and I'm going to give you, you know, I'm, I'm going to give you 10%. I'm going to give you 15%, whatever it is. I'm going to give you a certain amount. Oh, the car broke. I'll give it to you next week, God. We're floating alone from God here, you see. We're floating alone from God. I'll give it to you next week, Lord. Uh, uh, there's this opportunity to go, you know, hunting, fishing, buying, whatever is on sale. I'll get you next week, God. You see, we're floating alone from God here. I've been guilty of that. But I realized what I was saying by that, and, you know, and that's it, you know, kind of put that aside. We should give because God is God. We give because God is God. We're not trying to earn anything from him. We're not trying to pay him off. We're not trying to pay him back. You can't do those things. We give simply because God is God. Now, if everyone who is a part of this church and those who watch online, and uh, you know, if everyone who is a part of that simply tithed, Tithing is giving 10% of your income. If, if everyone who's a part of this church, you know, and watching online, if they simply tithe 10% of their income, we would have significantly more money for ministry. 
significantly. Now, many of you do tithe, and I really appreciate that. I mean, one of the, one of the encouragements for Pastor Kent and myself during the, you know, the time when we weren't meeting was how many of you made sure you got your offering in. It was, and not just for Pastor Kent and myself, the board. You know, I remember the first board meeting we had after we were closed for so many weeks and just everybody, you know, all the board members just looking and just, you know, praise God. Praise God. A lot of these people get it. You know, and, and, and you know, and, but, you know, just think if everybody did the ministry that would be able to be accomplished. Um, but it's not simply what you give. I've told you this before, and you need to understand that it's not simply what you give that should be used in a manner to glorify God. The way we handle all that we have is a reflection of the place God has in our life. The way we use everything we have is a reflection of the place God has in our living. In our living. Every week I'm still... Uh, I don't, I, you know, I search for the list, not the list, all the slips of paper that were turned in at the beginning of the year. And I said, you know, tell me something you're thankful for for 2019, a prayer request for 2020. Oh, man, we had no idea, did we? Uh, anyway, the, uh, but I'm praying through some of those prayer requests. And, you know, some of the prayer requests are, you know, that God would help me to use my home more to glorify him, that God would help me to be a better witness in our, in, you know, in our community, that God would help me, you know, to, to use a gift of hospitality more. The way we handle all we have is a reflection of the place God has in our living. It's not just my stuff and then I gave to God the offering and that's his. It's all his stuff. Solomon and all Israel took a stand that day, a very public, a very elaborate, a very clear stand with God. They said they were standing with him. The dedication lasted seven days, followed by a feast day and another seven days of worship and celebrating. It says, and then Solomon sent the people home rejoicing. Sent the people home rejoicing. And what follows and what we're going to get into in the next few weeks, beginning next week, you know, is kind of warning and direction because what follows this then ends up with what we started reading. The temple was burned. The city was destroyed. The walls were torn down. And the people were taken into captivity for 70 years. God warns them at the very beginning. That's direction for us to use for God's, as God's people today. What we see here in these first 11 verses, the king and the temple, they were important to those people but they were not enough to secure God's blessing. It's a life of loyalty to God that's needed. This is where God's always trying to direct them. That's where he's always trying to direct us. Loyalty to Take a stand. Take a stand. Live showing you are with God. It's not a question of having the right things in place. It's not a question of having, you know, the temple. It's not a question of having, you know, the right worship. It's not even a question of the right ceremonies. 
They were going through all of these things here in these first 11 verses. What we need is a relationship with God. What we need is a relationship that affects and directs all of our living, a life of loyalty to God. Take a stand. Let people know you are with him. Let's pray. Father, you are a God who has uh, been so patient with us. And as we read Israel and what they went through, and phew, we shake our head. Uh, but, Father, we need to look at our own life. Uh, am I improving, Lord? Am I living more loyal to you than I did before? Is my loyalty to you more obvious than it was last year, last week, even yesterday. Continue to direct us not only to understand your love, to live in it, and to more and more be those people who stand with you. That you, Father, would be pleased with us and the way we live. That years from now, our great 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 grandchildren will be able to look back and say praise God we've been able to remain loyal to you through all these years however long you give us father help us to live loyal to you the only God we pray In Christ's name, amen.